You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this morning, as we will hear the Word of God, I invite you to open to the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. We'll read there one of the great promises of our Lord which was fulfilled in the sending of Jesus Christ, His Son. Genesis chapter 12, the verses 1 through 7. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh and Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord, who had appeared to him. Thus far, our reading from the Old Testament. Let's turn to the New Testament now, to Luke chapter 2. We'll read the verses 1 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And our text this morning will be Luke chapter 1, the verses 46 through 56. We will look at our text in pieces as we go through the sermon This morning, the text, as you'll see in your Bibles, if you have them open to to it, Luke chapter 1 at verse 46, is entitled Mary's Song. And indeed, it is Mary's Song. It's the song that she sang after she had met Elizabeth. It's the song that has been known throughout church history as the Magnificat gets its name from the first word of the song in Latin, in the Latin translation of the Bible, that was the first song, glorifies, my soul glorifies the Lord, Mary's song. But as we look at this this song this morning, we'll realize that while it is deeply personal for Mary, this is not a song only for Mary. Over the last few weeks, we have been considering the life of Naomi, And as we look at this song, you realize that this could be called the song of Naomi. Or 
this could be the song of Ruth. It gives voice to what Ruth has gone through as well. We could even call this the song of David. It resonates with the song of David. It resonates with many of the songs of David. You could call this the song of Hannah. If you were to compare this song with 1 Samuel chapter 2, the song of Hannah, you would see many parallels between them. We could call this the song of Bathsheba, the song of Manoah, the song of a host of people in the Old Testament who lived in hope, who lived in the expectation of God their Savior. It captures this song, what is true in fact, for all of God's people. And this song really forms the backdrop of the birth narrative of our Lord. This song of Mary sets the birth of our Lord in, you might say, its theological context. It shows us what the Lord is doing as this baby is born to Mary in Bethlehem. And so as the Son of God comes into the world, this song of Mary is still ringing in the air. And as the angels join with their song, it mixes together with it. And brothers and sisters, it's a song that we, along with Mary, are called to sing. It's a song that we are called to take to heart and to mind. It's a song that we are called to live out in our lives as we praise God, as our souls glorify the Lord and rejoice in God our Savior. The Word of God reads, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. When the angel Gabriel had come to Mary and told her of that special child that she was to bear, he told her at the same time that her relative Elizabeth would also be bearing a special child. And it seems that Mary was so excited by this news that, as we read, she hurried over to Elizabeth's house to rejoice with her. And that meeting between those two special mothers is is touching as this woman who was too old to have a child, but yet has one in her womb, meets up with the young woman, the virgin, who is bearing the Son of God in hers. A special meeting indeed. And the Holy Spirit causes Elizabeth to greet Mary with joy and blessings after Elizabeth's own baby John leaps in her womb at the, at the arrival of his Lord confirming to Mary what the angel had spoken to her, that it was true. That in fact, these glorious things have been done. That they are taking part right now and in her own womb. That the child within her truly was a special child. And so in response to that exuberant greeting from Elizabeth, Mary responds by the power of the Holy Spirit with this beautiful song known through the ages as the Magnificat or Mary's song. And Mary begins this song in a beautifully and strikingly personal way. 
The song, as it begins, it's about Mary. She speaks very personally about the particular love that she has experienced. As she says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. From now on, generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me, my and me. Of course, Mary is not calling upon herself the veneration that the Roman Catholic Church teaches that she is doing, but she is acknowledging the very special place that God has given her in His entire plan of redemption. It all comes to a head in this young virgin, this young woman, Mary, and Mary acknowledge that, acknowledges that and praises God for it. Of course, she realizes what is happening here. The angel himself had told her. She was told that she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit that she would give birth to God's own Son. That she, Mary, and no other, her alone, had been given this special task. For his own unknown, immeasurable reasons, God had set his particular love and kindness upon Mary, this young girl from Nazareth. And that's consistent with how God works, isn't it? When God sets his love upon someone, he sets his particular love upon them. He sets his particular love upon each one of his people, when he sets his love on them. We've seen the deeply personal love that God shows as we've seen the life of Naomi and Ruth over the last number of weeks. This is how God loves. He loves particular people in particular ways. Mary praises God. Because in his particular love, he has looked upon her in the particular place in life that she has, which she acknowledges it is a particularly humble one. Just think of Mary's place. She was from Nazareth, a backwater town in the north of Israel, on the outskirts of Jewish life, barely on the map. A forgotten place. She is only a young woman. She's a young Woman, She has no rank, no place, no status in society. Her homeland is not even an autonomous state anymore. It is being ruled by the distant foreign empire of Rome. And Mary herself doesn't even show up on the rolls of her own country. The reason that she has to go to Bethlehem is because Joseph has to go there to register. They don't even care about Mary. By the standards of this world, Mary is a nobody. She's a nothing. She's a zero. And it was particularly her that God chose to bear his son. Why? Because the particular love of God delights in using nobodies, nothings, and zeros to work out his great plan of redemption because he is most glorified 
when he does so. And Mary recognizes the love and the kindness of God in in choosing her. Why? For his own good pleasure. And she magnifies God. She rejoices in God, her Savior. And as she does so, she calls all of us to join her in magnifying this particular love that God has shown to her and through showing it to her, has shown it to all of us. No one's nothings, and zeros that we are outside of Him. We continue to read the Word of God from Luke 1 now at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. As Mary rejoices in God's particular love, she also praises God's mighty power. This loving God is God, her Savior, the God who does and has done great and powerful things. These are titles, God, my Savior, the God who has done powerful things, who has done great things. These are titles that resonate strongly with the songs of the Old Testament, the Psalms of the Old Testament. As Mary's entire song does, it resonates with her father, David. This young woman was clearly steeped in the Scriptures. She she knew them well. They were a part of her life so that when the angel came to her and announced God's favor to her and that she would bear his own son, the words that were that were so deeply ingrained in her of scripture came out of her mouth. They overflowed from her tongue. And a strong theme of, of many psalms which dominates Mary's song is that God uses that great power of his to maintain righteousness and justice in this world. That is, that God uses His great power to bring down those who are too high and to raise up those who are low. But it's not as though God is the great egalitarian of the universe. No, when God brings down the mighty, He brings up the lowly so that they are exalted while the mighty are humbled before Him. Mary recounts that God has has scattered those with proud thoughts, and that God brings down rulers, and that God leaves the rich with empty hands. All the while, those who fear God receive mercy. Those who are humble are lifted up. Those who are hungry are filled. This is how God has worked throughout His history, bringing down those who are proud and lifting up those who are humble, using those who are humble like Mary time and time again as He works out His great and powerful plan of redemption, using this tiny little nation in the Middle East to bring about His plans of salvation for the whole world. And now, even in the sending of His eternal Son into the world, God delights in lifting up the poor and the humble. 
You see, the narrative of the birth of our Lord, it leaves out the powerful. It leaves out the notable. It doesn't use those who have great influence in the world. No, it involves a young woman from Nazareth. It involves her carpenter fiancé. A couple of very old relatives who have a hard time believing the angel standing before them. A feeding trough and shepherds. But yet, through these humble circumstances, God is working out the salvation of His people. He is coming to their rescue. He is securing their eternal inheritance. He is establishing this baby of Bethlehem on the throne of His father David as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The King of the whole world. The greatest ruler ever in the history of the world. And this king will be a refuge for those who are humble. But he will be a terrible king, full of violence for those who are proud. And so the question comes through the song of Mary to us this morning. Which side are you on? said that outside of Christ, you are all zeros, nothings, and nobodies. Did your heart kind of wrestle with that as it was said? If you are proud, if you have gained much in this world so that you feel you need no more, if you are rich, then you need to humble yourself before the king of the world. Jesus Christ. But if you are poor, if you are lowly, if you are meek, if you are humble, then you need to know that Jesus Christ can lift you up. Jesus Christ has come for the salvation of all those who realize that they need Him. The birth of our Lord Jesus Christ was cloaked in these humble circumstances, you realize, so that only the humble would get it. People who are proud look at this and say, what sort of birth narrative is this? What sort of king is this? What sort of savior is this? But those who are humble don't say that. They read this and they see that God has humbled himself for them. And they see their Savior, and they bow down, and they worship Him. We read the Word of God at verse 54 of Luke chapter 1, the end of Mary's song. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as He said to our fathers. Mary's song ends as she concludes with God's faithfulness to His covenant promises. This child within her, she confesses in the song, has been a long time coming. Things had been very bleak for Israel for a long time, but the faithful in Israel were never without hope. Yes, their country had been overrun by the Romans, 
Yes, they would have recognized the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the disbelief of the Sadducees. Yes, they would have been troubled by the lack of true prophecy in the land of Israel for 400 years. They would have grieved over the state of the house of David, that once mighty throne reduced to rubble. Faithful in Israel may at times have lacked patience, but they would have never lacked hope. Because the faithful always rely on the promises of God. And God had given His promise that He would redeem His people. God had gave His word to David, promising him that a son would certainly come who would sit on his throne forever. His rule would never end. God had given His word to Abraham that He would bless Abraham and his seed. And through Abraham and his seed, He would bless all the nations of the earth. God had given His word to Adam and Eve, promising that He would crush the head of the serpent by a child born to a woman. God had promised that He would bring salvation to His people. And when the Holy Spirit caused Mary to conceive, and when she carried that baby to full term and gave birth in a cattle stall in Bethlehem, then the Almighty, the faithful, the true God kept His promise. His word was fulfilled. He Himself became our flesh. So faithful was He that He, the Almighty God, became man in order to keep His Word. He became a servant among men. He went to death at the hands of men that He might become our Savior. Does your soul glorify the Lord when you hear this? Does your spirit rejoice in God, our Savior, who has been faithful to His Word? God has been mindful of the humble place of not only His servant Mary, but of all His servants. And He has sent His Son into this world that whoever believes in Him would not perish in their humble circumstances, but would be given eternal life. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Live by faith in the promises of the ever-faithful God. The God who has sent His Son into this world is still faithful to His promises and will forever be faithful to His promises until His Son returns as He told us He will. Let's stand in awe of the almighty power of God who maintains justice in this world, who raises up the poor and the weak and the needy, and He uses them to build His church strong and mighty. Let's worship God for the particular love that He has shown to all of us. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.